Well, this morning we are uh, finishing our series, Personal Parables, that we've been going over the past, this is the fourth week now. Um, These are all parables that are personal to me. They've been helpful to me in my walk with God as I've gone along, challenged me, um, definitely challenged me, and the hope has been that they have done the same for you as we've been going through them. First week we started with the parable of the sower. There, Jesus taught us what it means to live in continual response to the word of God. It's not just about our initial response to his words, about our continual response. Over time, you can receive the word joyfully at first, but over time, if trials come, distractions come, that, that word can be choked out. So we need to be good soil, right? We need to take the time to, to listen to the word, to hear it, to accept it as true. And then over the long haul, we bear fruit as a result of that. The second week, we looked at the parable of the talents. And that parable, Jesus taught us about, you know, a successful, successful Christian is not measured by their output. It's, they're really measured by their faithfulness, their faithfulness with the resources that God has entrusted to them. We all have things that God has gifted us in, different things God has given us. And we're called to come together as the body of Christ to, to glorify him together with those. And then last week, we looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant. And there Jesus taught us how he forgives and calls us to do the same. He forgives first fully and forever, and we're called to do the same. Now, to close our series, I chose the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And I chose this parable because really the thrust of this parable is, are you going to follow Jesus or not? You've heard heard what he said, right? We've seen in these parables the different things that, that he's told us to do, what the kingdom of God looks like, what living life in the kingdom looks like. And so now it's, you know, the ball's in your court, the ball's in my court. Are we actually going to respond and choose to obey or not? And so Jesus uses the parable of the wise and foolish builders to pose this question to us and to give us a clear picture of what is at stake when we're making this decision to follow him or not. We're going to do things a little, a little differently today. Instead of starting with the parable, we're actually going to save the parable for the end. Because uh, the, the parable of the wise and foolish builders is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is a detailed description of what life in the kingdom of God looks like, what a life of following Jesus looks like. It's this amazing, you know, radically different way of living and uh, I'm going to give a quick overview right now. This isn't going to do it justice. <laughs> the, par- um, the Sermon on the Mount is rich. It's beautiful. There's so much in it. I encourage you all to take some time to, to read it over this week. It's just three chapters. But just to give you a flavor of what Jesus has been teaching before we get to um, our passage today. You know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how life in the kingdom is this life where blessing isn't found in, in material things or external things that's really found in our heart condition towards God. Blessed are the meek, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a life that takes sin very seriously. Uh, Anger in the heart is likened to murder. We talked about this a little last week too, that lust in the heart is is likened to adultery. So we take sin very seriously in this kingdom life. It's It's a life where we love our enemies. It's a life where we give without expectation of anything in return. It's a life where we don't have to be anxious about our future, financial or, or otherwise, and said we can seek the kingdom first and trust that God will provide for us. It's a life of eternal impact. We can be salt and light. That's in that passage. And finally, it's a life that is available to everyone. And Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So Jesus in this sermon, he's, he's painting this beautiful picture of, of what life following him really looks like. 
And then again, the, the question really is, so are you going to follow it? Are you, are you going to put this into a practice? Or are you just going to hear this and, and do whatever you want? And he's also going to talk about what are the ramifications of that choice, the choice that is before us all. So Jesus presents it like this, starting in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So some observations first. The narrow gate here refers to submitting to Christ, right? deciding to follow him. It's narrow in the sense that Christ is the only way to life, right? We see in John 14, 6, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and the wide gate is the opposite, right? It is not following Christ, not submitting to Christ. I think it's interesting, right, that there's only two, two gates. There's the narrow gate and the wide gate. Really, when you boil everything down, there's only two options in our life. You're either following Jesus or you're not. You know, life is complicated, and, and you know, there's a lot of difficult decisions we face, difficult situations. There's a lot of messiness, but at its core, we're either deciding between, am I going to follow Jesus in this instance, in this situation, or am I not? That's what everything comes down to. And Jesus also presents here the outcomes of the choice, life or destruction. You know, when you stop and think about it, sin is, is stupid. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Why would we ever sin if God really is who, who he says he is? All powerful. He created everything, all loving. He loves us. He is for us. He wants what's best for us. Why would we ever, why would we ever go against him? I just, the, when posed like this, the question seems so obvious. Imagine if you walked into like an ice cream parlor and there's two, two flavors, like delicious and poison. <laughs> you wouldn't ask for a tasting spoon like to... Well, you would choose delicious, right? We want life. Of course we want life. No one wants to destroy, destroy things, destroy their lives. And yet, right, people are still choosing destruction every day. Right? Every single day, people are choosing destruction. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm a Christian. Right? I've chosen life. You know, I've, I've decided to follow Jesus already. And that's true. If, if you've decided in your heart that, you know, um, you are sinful and you want to turn from that and follow Jesus and said, you... You are saved. You, you have eternal salvation. Nothing can take that from you. But at the same time, you can create a lot of destruction in your life day in, day out, if you're not following Jesus every day. Right? Even as Christians, we're still tempted to sin. I think you see it all the time. There are Christians who fall into sinful patterns and, and create a lot of damage in their lives as a, as a result. For one person put it, we're all just one bad decision away from ruining our lives, Christian or not. We all face this temptation to sin, right? Constantly this temptation to choose. Destruction is really what it is, the pull of, of the wide gate. Now, now, why is that? If the end is destruction, why, why, why do we all face that temptation? Well, Jesus says it right there. It's easier, right? It, it, it's easier to hate your enemy instead of extending forgiveness to them. That's just easier. It's easier to be anxious about our financial future instead of trusting God. It's easier to let lust and anger run unchecked to make life all about yourself instead of relying on Jesus and, and putting his ways first. And not only is it easier, the other thing we see here is there are many other people on that path, right? Those who enter by it are many, as it says in verse 13. There are many people around who are not following Jesus. And so, you know, we face this, this external pressure from society and the culture around us and all these people who aren't following Jesus. No, come this way. 
And sometimes from a distance, if you're not careful, it looks like they're just doing fine. They're doing fine not following Jesus, so what's the point? I think that makes this really difficult. Hopefully you agree. I find it very difficult at times. But in the next verses, Jesus is going to address that. He's going to point out, you know, the danger of taking our cues from people who are on the easy path, who are heading through the wide gate. And he's going to call them false prophets. And what a false prophet is, is is it's anyone who comes along and says that there is a way apart from Jesus to life. You, You can be a false prophet to yourself if you believe that lie and tell yourself that lie. And so in the next couple of verses here, Jesus is going to warn us against two different ways, two different ways of thinking that the, that the false prophets have and that we as Christians need to identify and be aware of as we're trying to answer this question, should I follow Jesus every single day? So we're going to take a look at verse 15. Here's the first type of thinking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, right? This is destruction here that we're dealing with. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So here, what the way of thinking that Jesus is warning us against here is, I can live how I want and still reap the benefits of following Jesus or still reap the benefits of the life uh, that Jesus promises, even though I'm living how I want. That is, that is not true. You reap what you sow. The image that Jesus uses here is, is an agricultural image, right? He's talking about grapes gathered from thorn bushes, figs from thistles. Now, this concept makes so much sense agriculturally. For example, one of my favorite fruits are apples. I love apples. I have one every single day. I had one this morning. It was great. My least favorite fruit are pears. <laughs> There's so many shocked faces. I just don't get pears. They're too gritty for me. I don't know. I'm sorry. But I don't like pears. Um, I hope that doesn't ruin your faith in in this message. Um, I don't like pears. Now, imagine if I said to you, I really want more apples in my life. I desire more apples. And so I go to the store and I buy a bunch of pear seeds, plant them in my backyard, water it, fertilize it. The tree's growing. I'm looking up apple cobbler recipes. I'm so excited for these apples. And I call you over and and we go outside and there's a pear on the tree. I'm like, what the heck? Where did this pear come from? You would be like, Eric, well, what? Seed did you plant? Well, pear seeds. You would think I'm an idiot, right? And I would be an idiot if I did that. It makes no sense. Even though I wanted apples, I planted pear seeds. So obviously I got pears. And that's what Jesus is trying to show us here with this agricultural metaphor, right? We, we do this in life all the time. We, we want to be men and women who, who have deep, meaningful relationships. Yet an opportunity comes to extend forgiveness or be patient with someone we instead respond with bitterness and impatience. We're planting the wrong seed. We're planting the wrong seed. We want to be men and women who have generous Christ-like hearts, yet the opportunity comes to serve or to give, and we put the wallet away. We're too busy to serve. You're planting the wrong seed. You're planting the wrong seed for the fruit that you want. We want so badly these things that Jesus offers in, in the Sermon on the Mount and in these parables that we've been talking about over the course of the month, and yet we choose to plant the seeds of destruction. And so Jesus, he's warning us. He's warning us about this. The idea that you can ignore following Jesus, you can do life a separate way and still reap the benefits is is just a lie. It's not true. God can't be mocked. We reap what we sow, as Galatians 6, 7 tells us. Fruit is going to come eventually. Jesus talks about the outcomes in verse 17 through 20. He says this, So every healthy tree bears good fruit. 
but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. They're destroyed, right? You see, there's only two choices. You either follow Jesus or you're not. You're either a good tree or a bad tree, life or destruction. There's no way around it. The bad tree will produce bad fruit. Your intention doesn't matter. I really intended to get apples. You know, your desire doesn't matter. I really, really wanted apples by planted pears. See, the only way to have the life that God promises in the Sermon on the Mount and in these parables in Scripture is to follow Jesus, his way. That's the only way to do it, day in, day out, over the long haul. I think one of the tricky things about fruit is it takes a while to grow, right? Years sometimes to grow. You may be planting seeds for years until you reap the outcome of your decisions. And I think that's sometimes why these people who are on the easy path going through the wide gate are so hard to spot. The, the fruit hasn't come yet, right? They haven't seen the outcome yet, but they will. No matter what the, the false prophets, what this lie tells us, they, they will see that. You cannot reap the benefits of the kingdom life apart from Christ without obedience and submission to Jesus. And right now, whether, whether you realize it or not, you're, you're planting seeds. You're planting seeds whose fruit you will bear and, and, and reap the benefits or the, the harm of, you know, for the next years, maybe decades of your life. So what, what seeds are you planting, right? You're developing thought patterns and patterns in your life. Are, are those patterns leading to life? Are you following Jesus or not? Right? That's the decision that we're up against every single day and every single decision we make. So that's the first way of thinking that Jesus cautions us against. The second way is, is the way that says, as long as I say the right things and do the right things, I will get life. Jesus talks about this in verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this person you see is, is pretty vocal, right? Lord, Lord, look at all this stuff that we did in your name. And they do some amazing things too, right? They, they prophesy, they cast out demons. These are some pretty the good things, helpful things. And the out, from the outside, you'd probably think, wow, this, this person's pretty impressive, but this is why this type of false prophet is so deceptive, because everything's on the outside. It's external. The, the key phrase here is, I never knew you, at the end there in verse 23. You see, what this is indicating is this person never actually entered into a saving relationship with Jesus. No matter, no matter what they said, no matter what they did, they never actually turned. Repented is the biblical word right from their sin to submit to Jesus instead. You know, anyone can say, I love Jesus. Anyone can say they're a Christian. Anyone can go to church and sing songs and do all this activity, but that's not what makes you a Christian. Right? The gospel is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done for us already. No amount of good work, no amount of verbal things we can say can get us life. As we talked about last week in the, in the parable of the unmerciful servant, that the debt that we owe is too great. Our works can't cover it. 
right? It doesn't matter how often you go to church or how much you give or how nice a person you're all. We are all still sinners. And God is holy. We all owe this debt. And the only way for the debt to be forgiven is for us to repent, to turn from our sin, turn to Jesus, relying on his grace, relying on him instead of ourselves and our efforts and what we did. That is the way to life because relying on yourself only leads to destruction in the end because we all mess up. We all fail. None of us are perfect. Now, of course, I'm not saying here that church doesn't matter and giving doesn't matter and being nice and all these things don't matter. That is obedience. We need to be obedient, right? What I'm saying is that that should be in response to your salvation, not the way to salvation. You're not the way Jesus is. We're not the way. Jesus is the way. So what Jesus is saying here is, is beware of this type of thinking. Don't rely on yourself. That is not the way to life. You won't make it. That ends in destruction. Rely on me. That's what he's saying. That is how you choose life day in, day out, in every single decision you make. And with that, we get to the parable, the climax of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, this thing that Jesus has been building up to for the past three chapters. Here's what's at stake when we're weighing this decision each and every day. Am I going to follow Jesus today in this moment? Verses 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Here's what's at stake. You see it clearly. It's life or destruction. One house stays standing, one doesn't. It's pretty clear. There's only two choices. You're either following Jesus or you're not. Now, a question I have is what color is the house? I don't know. It's not in there. We don't, we don't know, right? Is one story, two stories? Is there a little pool in the backyard? No idea. Jesus doesn't tell us. You see, no detail in this story, in the parable, is given to the house itself. It's just a house. It doesn't matter. It's insignificant to the story. What is significant is the foundation that the house was built on. That is what makes the difference. Right? Choosing the wrong, wrong foundation is utterly what is destructive to the rest of the structure. And that is the significance that choosing to follow Jesus day in, day out, in every decision makes. He is vital to the structure of our life. If you're the one on the sand, one, right, the one who's relying on themselves or thinking they can do whatever they want and still reap the benefits, you can build a masterful life. You can have a great career, a great family, a beautiful family, build up amazing finances, do all these great things. But if faith in Jesus is not the foundation, if it's not the rock that you're standing on, this is the result, right? It will crumble eventually. We're not perfect. We sin. We mess up. There is not life in that. And I think the the result there is pretty staggering, right? Great will be the fall. Great will be the fall, right? In your time on earth as those seeds of destruction, that sin eventually, but inevitably bears its fruit. And... Ultimately, an eternity separated from him if we, if we never turn and, and, and seek his forgiveness for our sin. But the other house, the one with Jesus as the foundation, the result is vastly different. They experience the same exact things, right? Verse 25 and verse 27 are the exact same verse until we get to the result. We all will experience trials in life. We all will experience temptation to sin. Uh, we all will mess up. But the difference 
is the foundation, right? The one on the rock doesn't crumble. It's not because it didn't face trials. It's not because it wasn't tempted to sin because it was built on the foundation of Jesus. That is the difference. The invitation to trust Christ is there for us. The path to life is there for every single one of us. Though it is narrow, it is available. So we've heard the benefits, right? We've heard these things in the Sermon on the Mount. We've heard all these things from the parables. And and the question that that is just before us is, are you going to accept the invitation? Right? Are you going to rely on Jesus? Are you going to follow him? Are you going to build your life on him? Or are you going to choose something else? I hope you say Jesus, right? If you've never trusted Christ before, I hope today is the day. And if you have said yes to that before, I hope... You choose that every single day again and again in the small decisions and in the big decisions for it is worth it. But, you know, we we need to stay alert, right? We need to stay faithful because it is so easy, I think, for us to get swept up by this easy path, right? It's easier. And you get swept up by all these other people who are saying like, no, it doesn't matter. You could do whatever you want. So how do you stay on track? How do you stay on track for the long haul? Well, I think the passage tells us, right? What was the difference? Both heard the word. Only one did it. So in order to build on the rock, we need to consistently hear and do. Hear and do. And, and I want to share this morning just some habits that have been helpful, helpful for me as I've been trying to hear and do for the past you know, 12 years or so that I've been a Christian. The first habit that has been really helpful for me is I've made it a habit to get to know God and his ways every day. I've made a habit to get to know God and his ways every day. What this has looked for me is every morning, not every single morning, I'm not perfect on this, but most mornings I read the Bible and I spend time in prayer asking God just to help me understand what I've read and help me put it into practice in my life. I hear it, I rely on his help to do it. If you've been around Church in the Valley for a while, we call this having a quiet time. And as I've gotten this habit in my life and have consistently done it over the past you know, 12 years or whatever, I've seen a couple things first I've seen that this has really helped me understand what following Jesus is really about and what it's like, right? The more you get into God's word and the more you get that into your heart and study it and memorize it, being the good soil, like we talked about in the parable of the sower in the very beginning, the more you understand what he's called us all to do, right? The more we understand what this is like. This is why the Sermon on the Mount precedes this, right? God is telling, Jesus is telling us what we are to do. And the second thing I've seen is the more and more that I've studied scripture and actually done it and put it into practice, the more I've built trust in God because I've seen how trustworthy he is. He is faithful. When he says these things in scripture, he means it. When you put it into practice, it it works. It does what it says it's going to do because he's able to bring that about. He means it. He is faithful. When he says his way leads to life, that's true. And I've seen that time and time again as I've put into practice. And I've also seen the, uh, the fruit of destruction when I haven't. So that's the first habit that I would encourage everyone to, to start getting into practice is, you know, take time every single day to read the scripture and ask God's help to put into practice through prayer and help give you understanding through prayer. The second habit that has been really helpful has been keeping in step with the Holy Spirit as I've gone throughout my day. God has given the Holy Spirit to Christians as a, as a guide to us, to help us there's this interesting verse in Isaiah chapter 30, 21, that talks about what this looks like. Your ear shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, right? When you're making this decision between should I follow Jesus in this situation or not, 
the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. And very interestingly, interestingly, I think the context of this passage, the greater context of Isaiah chapter 30 is God's grace and mercy. We have a loving God who doesn't want our destruction. He wants us to have life. That's why he gives us commandments in the first place. He's trying to show us what leads to life. That's why he gave us Jesus, right? He wants what's best for us. And there are, there are tough decisions we need to make. There are complicated choices for sure. We need help, right? We need help to make these decisions and navigate life in a way that is pleasing to God. And so he has given us the spirit to help us. We can seek help from the Lord to stay on track day in and day out as all these decisions come up. And so when you feel these promptings in your life, and that's what it is, it's a prompting, hey, do this, don't do this, you know, ask for forgiveness about this, right? Don't ignore them. Don't quench them. Scripture says quenching it, right? Don't let your heart grow cold. We've seen in these parables that if you don't develop these habits over time, your heart grows colder and colder. Don't let that happen with the spirit. Don't let, don't fool yourself into thinking that obedience doesn't matter in every situation. Follow, follow God, right? Every decision we make, we're choosing life or destruction, follow or not. And he and his grace and mercy wants to guide you to obedience. He's given us the spirit. So get into the habit of when you feel the spirit prompting you, follow. And the third habit that's been really helpful for me is staying connected to community. There are a lot of people who do not follow Jesus. Many, many people around. And it's so easy to be influenced by them if you're not careful. But thanks be to God that we have a community like this, right? A community of other other believers who are also walking with Jesus so grateful for that in my life, you know, just to see their example, to open up to them when I'm, when I'm struggling, to be encouraged by them, to keep going when it's hard or when I don't want to keep going. Ecclesiastes 4 talks about this and just the the benefits of, of community and having others with us. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, which we all will fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. It's so easy to get sucked into the temptation if you don't have other believers around you to help you and encourage you, remind you of the truth. So I encourage you, you know, stay connected to community. Join one of our C groups. Stick around after church and, and chat and get to know people. Open yourself up to other people. Share about the temptations that you face to, to stop following Jesus or not follow Jesus in certain areas. We all have them. And open up about those, right? Those areas where the, the, the false prophets, whether it's yourself or others, are tempting you to, to think there's a different way to life apart from Jesus. Stay connected to community. Those, those three habits, right? Reading the scripture every day and praying about it, listening to the spirit in my life and, and staying connected to community have been crucial to me over these past years of, of following God. Now those, I think those applications seem really basic. Read the Bible. How basic, right? Follow God. How basic? Stay, go to church. But you're never going to outgrow the basics, right? We're never going to outgrow that need to study the scripture and seek God through that. We're never going to outgrow the need for God's help. Like no amount of maturity is going to do that, right? We're, we're never going to outgrow our need to have other believers around us to encourage us and help us. So don't overlook these. Don't let these habits slip. They're easy to slip. Don't let them slip, right? Again, we've seen in the parables that we've talked about how easy it is just to grow cold to to the word, to faithfulness, to forgiveness over time if you're not careful. It's, it's not easy to follow Jesus. There is constant temptation and pressure to go our own way, 
which is constant. But I have found that as I've got these habits in my life and I've taken this seriously, they have really helped in following Jesus for the long haul. And and I've personally seen that in my life. I volunteer at USC uh, for a group called Christian Challenge. It's a Christian ministry that um, many people here have been a part of. Um, I became a Christian 12 years ago as as part of that ministry. Um, They really helped share the gospel to me and and opened my eyes to see um, what Jesus was all about. So it's been a big blessing. Big is an understatement how big a blessing it's been in my life. And I've been fortunate enough to... uh, have been given the opportunity by God to keep serving in that ministry and serve as a part-time staff member. I've been doing that for the past eight years since I graduated. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that God has entrusted me with and one of the talents God has given me, as, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But I will also say that has had a large cost in my life. Um, I work a full-time job as well. So this just takes up a lot of time. Um, I estimate I take about 15, 15 hours a week with Christian Challenge. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of energy. And over the years, that has been hard. <laughs> it has been really hard. And there have been times where I've been tempted to just throw it all away and give up and, and, and just leave that. Even though I know, even though I know that God has that for me and wants me to do that, even though it gives me joy and excitement and I, and I enjoy doing it, there's that, that pressure and temptation to um, abandon that and just go, my own way. So one night, uh, this is about, it's been a while, maybe six years ago. It was one of my earlier years on staff. I was driving home after Thursday night. That's when our large group meets. It was late, you know, 10 p.m. driving on the 10 freeway. Long day at work, long day on campus. And this thought comes to my mind. God, you have ruined my life. Now that's a thought that you don't just brush away. That's a thought you stop. And you think, where did that come from? I'm Christian. I love God. I'm thankful to God. Why am I thinking God has ruined my life? And I realized the root of that was I was starting to get very envious of my coworkers. They got to go home after work and do whatever they wanted. But I was called to sacrifice all this time and energy to, to serve the students at USC. And I became envious. I, you know, I could see just, I wish God sometimes I could just do whatever I want. You know, there's a Dodger game that I missed. I just want to go home and watch the Dodger game. I just want to go home and, and do whatever I want instead of going to challenge, going to USC. And then I just realized that that envy wasn't just limited to that. It, it was in a bunch of other areas. I was envious of my other coworkers and their, their finances. They got to use their, their money for whatever they wanted. But I knew God has called us to, to give and to be faithful in that area. I was like, God, if I, if I didn't know about you, I'd have more money in the bank. And just this envy kept growing and growing. I even, you know, I shared a little bit last week about my past struggle with lust and porn. I even started thinking about that a little bit and how it was just so much easier to indulge in that when I didn't realize it was wrong. But now I know my eyes are opened and I see that it is sin and it's not enjoyable anymore. It's just this struggle and painful when I give into temptation. God, sometimes I just wish I could be ignorant of my sin again. God, you've ruined my life. And those aren't good thoughts. That's a lie. That's what I was thinking. And that's just honestly what I was thinking as I was driving down the 10 freeway at 10 p.m., super tired, super late. Why am I doing this? Just envious of the easy path. The other way, starting to maybe think that there was life in something else. But I had developed the habits that I was just talking about. I was reading the Bible consistently and praying for help. I knew I was going to be tempted in these areas. I had been tempted in those areas before. You know, I had, I had been listening to the Spirit in my life. I was surrounded by a community of 
of all of you, right? Surrounded by all of you and just getting help and, and encouragement, um, opening up about my struggles. And so as I, as I was driving, so frustrated, so envious, you know, tempted, tempted by this easy path, God, the Holy Spirit, brought to mind this verse I had memorized in one of my quiet times. It's Proverbs 23, 17 through 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Just like a laser beam, God shot that thought, that verse into my mind, that truth. And suddenly, my whole thought process just just changed. Because God started reminding me of where I was headed before I knew Jesus and before I became a Christian. I intended and desired to be a person of impact, but my heart was just hardening up because I was just focused on myself, my own glory, my own career, and all these things. I thought I was a a romantic person, and I was just thinking about, wow, one day I'm going to have this great marriage and this perfect woman's come along, but I was looking at porn every day. I was going to be a terrible husband. You know, I really wanted to be this loving, kind person, but on the inside there was this deep bitterness for different harms that had been done against me or I thought had been done against me. I was exactly what Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 7. You know, I was planting these seeds of thorn bushes, desperately hoping for grapes, desperately hoping for grapes. I was choosing destruction again and again, slowly, day by day by day, without even realizing it. But Jesus came. He opened my eyes. He showed me the truth, and everything changed. He saved me from that. And he gave me future and hope. And as I was driving, God reminded me of the truth. God, you have not ruined my life. You have ruined my destruction. Totally ruined my destruction. I was headed right for it. But God, in his kindness and his love, he came to me and he rescued me from myself. Um, I realized like, I have nothing to be envious of those people about. I have Jesus. I have everything. I have nothing to be envious of them about. And so that car ride, which started off in such frustration and, and, and temptation, just turned into this really sweet time of, of worship and thanksgiving for all that God had did for me. And the, and the appeal of that easy path just kind of melted away in that time. So we all face this question this morning. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? You've heard his words. Are you going to obey? I know my answer. It's yes. And I hope yours is, too, because I have seen the difference he makes. I've tasted that fruit of destruction, too. It is not good. But I've seen the difference that building on the firm foundation of Jesus makes in my life day in, day out. So I'm going to choose to follow him again and again as best I know how, even when it's hard, even when it hurts to do the right thing. And it is hard. Even when the temptation to leave is so strong, it is worth it, because I have seen how real the kingdom becomes when we put this into practice. I know many of you have also seen that as well. Is it hard to follow Jesus? Yes. Do I still choose to go onto the easy path sometimes and sin? Yes. And are there still nights like that night when I doubt whether it's worth it? There are. But I built these habits into my life and I, and I remind myself of the truth and what God has done for me and against so many others here over the years. And I've seen that there are only two choices in life. Life or destruction. You either choose to follow Jesus or not. But if you choose to follow Jesus day in and day out, the stuff that we've been talking about these past four weeks in the parables, they don't just have to be theoretical. 
right? They can bear real fruit in your life. God is faithful. He is able to bring that about. So I encourage you, choose to follow Jesus every single day. Let's pray. God, thank you for, uh, for what you've done in my life, what you've done in many people's lives here. Thank you that this invitation is available to all of us. God, I pray that you would help us because we need help. It, it is very tempting and uh, tangible to see um, the, the world around us and think that, that, that that's it. That's what life is about. But we know from your scripture that it's not. And I pray that you would remind us of that every single day, that you would help us against that every single day. God, thank you so much for the gift of your spirit, the gift of your word, the gift of other believers who can encourage us and challenge us and correct us. I do pray, Father, that we would put these habits into practice. And Lord, uh, we rely on you to be faithful that what you've said is true. Our hope is in you. Our future is in you. So thank you so much um, for that reminder you gave me and those reminders you continue to give me. I pray to remind us all of that. Thank you so much in your name. Amen.